Welcome to Smashpieces, a casual walk through the history of the Super Smash Brothers Ultimate roster. My name is Joe. And my name is Matt. And if you're new here, what we are doing for this show is we are playing one game for every character in Super Smash Brothers Ultimate from 1984's Duck Hunt to 2019's Fire Emblem Three Houses. Well, that's what we'd normally be doing, but we're not today because this is a bonus episode. We're actually talking about a game not on the list, but closely related to a game that is on the list, because today we are going to go deep dive into spoilery discussion on Final Fantasy VII Remake. That's right, spoilers will be abound in this episode if you have not played Final Fantasy VII Remake. I would recommend uh, you stop listening if you care about spoilers. You've never needed a spoiler warning, because this is the first time we've talked about a game that isn't 20 years old. Potentially might be the last. <laughs> Maybe. Um... So, yeah, we're talking about a brand new game. Uh, at time of recording, this game came out about two months ago. Uh, uh not even. Month and a half, I'd say. Yeah, and we, uh, we would have recorded this earlier, because we both finished it weeks ago. But, uh, because of complications with me and school and all that. And also, I don't know when you're hearing this, either. <laughs> Uh, I assume between Pokemon Snap and DK64, but we'll see if that actually happens. Uh, if that's actually needed. I don't know. So, you could be hearing this at any point. We're kind of just releasing it when we foresee a lull in, you know, stuff. So, yeah, uh, and we kind of figured that since we played Final Fantasy VII, both of us, for the first time last year... Uh, as part of this show, it kind of just made sense to, you know, do a follow-up episode about the remake that came out. You know, that, that, the point A to point B on that is really logical. Yeah, and so now, here we are, uh, I, I used the phrase of 20 years of retroactive nostalgia building up. Uh, in between us finishing Final Fantasy VII and Remake's release, because that was only like a three-month gap, right? Oh, yeah, no, we finished it, and then I, I we finished it in December, I want to Just before say. Christmas. And then, yeah, we finished it just before I went on vacation, uh, right after Christmas. So, we finished it in December, game came out in at the beginning of March, April? Beginning of April. And... That was, yeah, about three months where we both realized, like, oh, no, no, I'm really invested in all of the stuff for Remake because I know these characters now and I have a connection to them. Oh, shit. Well, I was kind of I was always planning on buying Remake because, you know, it's like the big the big video game coming out at that time. Oh, same. And that was it was always my plan to, to buy it. But having played the game beforehand, like amplified all of those feelings in a way that was like, oh, now it's not only just. I want to buy it to play the big, cool video game. Now it's, I want to buy it to play the big, cool video game that features characters I know and like. And it also turned out to be a pretty good idea to go in with some foreknowledge. Yeah, it turns out. So this is where we're going to drop one last spoiler warning. Legit. I know you're probably thinking, it's a remake. I've played the original. I've, I'm fine. Leave. There is a there's a point about 95% of the way through the game where like the the game looks directly into the camera and says, "Hey, so you've played all of Final Fantasy 7 and Crisis Core and uh Dirge of Cerberus and you've watched Advent Children. 
right? Right? Which is hilarious because Nomura, in typical Nomura fashion, did an interview where he was like, oh yeah, this will be a great place for people to start if they've never played any Final Fantasy VII anything before. And he lied to the people. That's the biggest lie in the world. There's the, the one, the best example that I see people point out of like the moment you realize like, oh, this game was not made for first time players is after the plate drops and then you see a 10 second shot of Kate Sith just just there and it doesn't acknowledge it. It doesn't explain who it is. Never comes up again. Look at this cat. There he is. Well, that's the entirety of how he shows up in this game. Uh, well, it's so that's that's a that's a noticeable moment. But for me, it kind of came a lot earlier. It was in chapter two, after the opening bombing mission, when you first see Sephiroth, and I didn't realize exactly the extent to which this would be like the plot of the game. In hey, you've played Final Fantasy VII, right? But Sephiroth shows up, and I noticed that. The, the first scene that he appears in never once says his name, uh, but his name is revealed by the subtitles, which communicates to me as a member of the audience that I'm already supposed to know who this is. Well, they, and, they, they said as much in interviews as well, where they were yeah. like, well, we didn't feel like we had to characterize Sephiroth all that much because everybody already knows Sephiroth. Which like, every what, single person I've talked to known? that didn't play the original says, no, I don't know who Sephiroth is. <laughs> like, you can, re- a lot, most people, I think what they, what the thought process was, was, well, I mean, if you show any gamer a picture of Sephiroth, they know it's Sephiroth. But that doesn't necessarily mean they know Sephiroth. <laughs> Those two are not necessarily connected i know who i know like what sephiroth looks like because i had played kingdom hearts before i played final fantasy 7 and sephiroth is in that but i didn't know like his deal and that's kind of important yeah and that's that moment is right there at the beginning of the game and it's when things started to feel kind of off for me in this regard which is a little weird because everything else that the game does where it is choosing to be a straight remake of Final Fantasy 7 is honestly really good. Like and see, I've heard I've heard differing opinions on this. So I actually just finished rewatching a stream of somebody playing Final Fantasy 7 over on a loading ready run. Uh they just finished playing uh, uh Graham Stark, the guy who who one of the co-owners of Loading Ready Run just finished playing the game himself on stream and every once in a while he would like cut him with like uh i like how this is handled in the remake because he he was playing it while he was doing those streams and one of the things he mentioned was that he actually likes how they're handling sephiroth and it kind of hit a moment with me where i was like oh because it is written with the intention that you already know who Sephiroth is, because if you've known who Sephiroth is for years, you don't need any of that. And that's kind of that is kind of the the thing about the perspective that I have that I think you have as well. 
we are lucky that we do know who Sephiroth is. We did just play Final Fantasy VII. But because it's so fresh for me, and because I was planning on playing this either way, I was thinking a lot about if this was where I started with Final Fantasy VII. And right off the bat with Sephiroth, it's 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 like a matter of like, this really is totally incomprehensible to anyone who hasn't played the original. But that is not to say uh, we're 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 starting off kind of negatively there. Uh, we should go ahead and say like, hey, yo, this game's really good. Oh yeah, <laughs> this game's oh, yeah. really this really game's, really good. This game's incredible. I'm planning on going for a platinum run of it, which like is not an easy thing to do and is going to take a very long time. But this I will is, eventually platinum trophy that game. Yeah, this is possibly one of the best action games I've ever played. Yeah, so let's talk about the combat. Because the combat is incredible. Uh, just like, frankly, straight up. Um, I see a lot of people having trouble because they're trying to play it like a straight action game and not like a JRPG. And the thing is, it still is a JRPG. The controls feel very much like an action game, but your standard basic attacks that you would use as part of an action game are incredibly weak. Like, you'll do you'll do your basic attacks, and they'll be doing, like, 12 damage each, and then any given uh, ATB attack does 1,000. Like, that's how much the basic attacks are not really there to do damage. They're there to build your ATB. And managing your, like, managing that back and forth of, okay, my ATB is full, now it's time for me to actually use one of these skills. Okay, now my ATB is empty, so let's get a combo going so that the enemy can't get a hit in before my ATB is full again. And figuring out enemy attack patterns and knowing when to dodge, when to block, uh, what is weak to what? You need yeah. to have a good knowledge of, all right, so Shinra soldiers don't do great when you set them on fire. So when Shinra soldiers show up, set them on fire and then they'll uh, that'll do a huge chunk of their HP, if not fucking kill them. <laughs> yeah, it's it's it still is a JRPG and it handles all that really, really well. Like I have so much fun playing the combat. Frankly, I would not change a thing about it. I think the combat is as close to perfect as you can get in this kind of game. And they're uh, also still, they still managed to take this new combat system and put some of the, like, more traditional parts of Final Fantasy into it. Most notably, the Tonberry. Because I'm glad you brought I, don't, that up. I don't think either of us ever encountered a Tonberry in our playthrough of the original game. No, but I, w I already knew about them. I did not until this game. Um, I had no never idea knew about Tom a Tonberry before. I had no idea. Uh, I knew that Tonberries existed. I didn't know what their deal was. For If you are like me and you didn't know what their deal was, they are an enemy whose only move is they slowly shamble up close to you. And then once they get to you, they stab you and then you die. Pre in pretty much always instantly. an instant kill. <laughs> um... So Tomberries are terrifying, and the fact that they took that, which is a character that feels 100% designed around ATB, like, just completely designed around that, um, at least in that sort of regard. I assume Tomberries show up in other Final Fantasy games. Yeah. 
uh, and they took that and put that into what is essentially a 3D action game, and it still works perfectly, is really good. Um, so, so a fun fact, uh, you know hard mode? Yes. Uh, you know the Hell House boss fight? Oh yeah, I'm I know sure what you're about to say. We have more say. to say about uh, Hell House in hard mode spawns Tonberries. Yeah, that sounds like a hell and a house. Yeah. Uh, which Hell House is a great segue into every enemy's in this game. Actually, first, before we, before we move on past the gameplay, there is actually, I do want to talk about hard mode a little bit because hard mode, it it ramps all of that up in like the coolest way ever because most hard modes just decide, okay, we'll just turn up the level of damage that it does. We'll turn up the defense values. We'll just turn up the numbers on the stats and we'll call it a day. But the hard mode in Final Fantasy VII Remake, first of all, it's fucking hard. It's really hard. But it's also very demanding of you to know what you are doing. You have to know the game's systems inside and out. To the point that before every boss fight, you should probably know exactly what materia it's weak to so that you can equip the correct loadout and have everything perfectly attuned for that boss fight. Like, your the level that would be overkill in the main game is your base necessity of understanding in hard mode. And... I, I kind of think it sucks that there's there's nothing in between. Like, there's no normal mode, but a little more difficult. And there's also no normal mode, but a little easier. The easy mode is super, super easy compared to normal. And I feel like there should be more options in there. But as, like, the hard mode is so good as a thing for, like, you have mastered the game. Now here is a challenge that respects your mastery and still gives you a real challenge. And it's one of the best hard modes I've ever seen in a video game. I personally will probably not be playing it because hard modes aren't my shtees. But like from everything I've heard it described from from you, from our friend Zero, from uh, people and content creators that I follow. Everything that they have said does back up exactly what you're saying with it's it's just a, there's a lot of thought put into the hard mode of Final Fantasy VII. And it, it's it's just really well designed. Yeah, because most, most games, like, you master the systems, you know them inside and out, and then, well, now what? There's nothing left to do. Final Fantasy VII Remake, once you've mastered the, the systems, you're ready to start hard mode. And God help you if you tried to start a moment earlier. So so after hard mode, uh, I I wanna like I like I gave a shout out to earlier. Every enemy is in this game. If All it showed them. if it showed up in that stretch of the game when you were playing Final Fantasy VII in the original, it's in this game. I'm I'm talking the stupid chainsaw fish. I'm talking the hedgehog pies. I'm talking the stupid, like, pipe robots, and I'm fucking sure as hell talking about Hell House. So, uh, our friend Greg, last night, uh, got to his first encounter with Hell House. Uh, 
I was just hanging out in a Discord call with some friends, and Greg, he's like, oh, yeah, I'm in the I'm in the Coliseum. Uh, I'm like, oh, cool. He's like, oh, Cuddy and Sweepy, that's fun. And I'm like, oh, boy, we're about to get here. And so I'm listening to him as he's playing. Uh, and he hears the, the word Hell House. And he's like, oh, I've heard of this. <laughs> and I, I know the cutscene in my mind, so I'm like playing it along alongside like his reaction in real time. And so the the floor opens, Hell House rises out of the ground, and Greg just starts laughing. He's like, it's it's actually a house. It's a house. And, and then he says, oh, it's a house that shoots fire. And then, like, about three minutes later, presumably, he's gotten into the second phase of the battle where he just goes, oh, I see. As the Hell House sprouts out its its uh, demonic head and feet and wings and shit. No, it doesn't have a demonic head or anything in this game. That's that's my one disappointment with Hell House. It's it's a robot in yeah. this game. Like it's very clearly just a robot. Where in the original game, it's like a dumb, stupid, giant skeleton that's that's like wearing the house as a hat or a shirt or some shit. It's even stupider in the original game, but like. Hellhouse is the perfect illustration of they were so dedicated that, like, they wanted every enemy to be in this game no matter how stupid it looked. Because, God, there are a lot of really stupid fucking enemies in Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> There's Triceratank, man. There's I cannot wait for Triceratank. Triceratank is gonna be so great. There's, uh, there are other, like, really stupid enemy. There is a rabbit that is just called Jumping. That is the official name of the enemy is Jumping. It is a rabbit carrying a carrot. That's the whole I enemy. I about Jumping. They're so fucking stupid. There are so many stupid-ass enemies in this game, and they could have just said, like, no, we gotta, gotta brush those under the rug. Those aren't gonna fit in this game. No, no. The dev team obviously looked at that and said, no, fuck no, there's there's a chainsaw fish and we're going to put a chainsaw fish in this goddamn game. And it's yeah, going to be super dumb. And the way that like the way that Hell House happens, too, it's like it's just this culmination of like everyone on this development team knew exactly how important this was. Because every single person that's played Final Fantasy VII just says, I can't wait to see this in Remake. Whenever they see Hellhouse. Somebody data mined Hellhouse out of the demo, and we got so hyped. Yeah. No, we lost our minds. And and the moment where it's like it just starts building and you you know what is about to happen. And then it's the best boss in the whole game. It is, well, I think it's my second favorite boss in the game, but it's up there. What's your favorite? That's Rufus. That Rufus fight is so fucking cool. <laughs> that Rufus fight might as well be a Devil May Cry fight. I think Rufus as a character was made really cool in this game, which like I think I said that when I got to it. It's like, hey, they made Rufus awesome. Yeah, like but Rufus is kind of just a dork in the original game. That fight kind of breaks when you realize how easy it is to, to beat with the Counter-Strike move. Oh, uh, but aesthetically, it's so fucking cool, though. If you try to if you try to take a swing at him, he will like 
reversal it and then throw you to the fucking ground because fuck you. And then he does the coin shit with his shotgun. That fight's rad. But yeah. Also, also on the note of uh, like stuff that's changing in remake, just because we're talking about the the Rufus fight right now. Uh, you notice that in uh, that like they, they made a point of showing him like tell his dog to back down when the dog's HP hit zero. And in the original, you kill that dog right there. You sure yeah. do. So I guess I I forget the dog's name. Dark Star, I think. I don't remember. It's coming back. It um, better. It's it's the villain. It's Sephiroth. But yeah, moments like Hell House, though, it's just like the 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 team really did understand a lot of like what people were looking forward to. They and they they knew how to keep a balance between like. Like, yeah, they knew what people were looking forward to because you're right. Every time Hellhouse shows up to any new player, the first thing they said was, oh my god, I can't wait to see this in Remake. This is the stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen. Yeah. Because it is. It's dumb. It's the dumbest enemy in the game. Even with Triceratank and all sorts of other shit, Hellhouse takes the cake. But they also had, like, a lot of forethought in, like, okay, so certain stuff about this is gonna have to change. Like the dress side quest, which also ended up being kind of incredible. It's so like we talked about the dress side quest pretty in depth uh, in our original episodes for the game um, where we were like, it still has some issues, but it is still like surprisingly not as shitty as it could have been. Yeah. But there was still some stuff that would not fly in 2020. And Square knew that, thank God. And they they changed it up so that, first of all, uh, the one that everybody like the one thing that everybody likes to to point out, my favorite fucking thing, it, it seems most people's favorite thing, is when Tifa realizes that it's Cloud. And she's like, oh, my God, that dress, that makeup. And because it's like, yeah, I know. Nailed it. Moving on. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I don't want to talk about it. I, just, I know. I look great. Everybody said it. Just can we please move on? And it's it's so good. And there's less like people poking fun at Cloud, I think. Uh, Andrea as a character which we should probably get into like all the additional characters that they added to sort of flesh mm -hmm. out Midgar and make it, you know, a, a place I care about. <laughs> and like Andrea alone escalates that because he, he puts in like this whole narrative of like, there's nothing wrong with this. This is like, it's fine. Yeah, like he actually he has Andrea has very encouraging words to Cloud as that scene is happening, which, by the way, that scene is probably the biggest pop off from Square Enix in years. <laughs> well, also, it's got that rhythm game. That rhythm game is not great. It's not terrible, but I sure it's, would not play a full game of that. It's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And it's also kind of bad. Uh <laughs> Low tier as in terms of, of rhythm games, but that whole sequence, like that sequence is good enough that I don't give a shit. I don't care that the, that the rhythm game's not great. 
It's it's uh it's they did very well with it, especially making it like the longest invisible quest in the game. Sort of, um, these I sort of say that they do a good job of it, and then you go to try to get the platinum trophy and realize how much shit you have to replay twice to get the platinum trophy for all the dresses. Eh, eh, I'm not gonna count against them the platinum trophy thing because that's just it's a niche thing anyways i i mean that that is like a weird gray area to me because it's like well yeah it's just a platinum trophy you don't need it you don't need it but i, I definitely get where you're where you're coming from but like the fact that like Aerith's dress is reliant on how many side quests you do how many people you help yeah or which i mean you should be doing all of them Cloud's dress is based on a bunch of shit, apparently. I thought it was just the hand massage. Apparently it's not. Apparently there's it's, more shit. So it's a weird combination of factors. So the the Wall Market chapter uh, has two sets of mutually exclusive side quests. Like, there are four or five, I forget the number, but there's like five side quests every time. There's five side quests every time you play that chapter. But there are ten total side quests. So um, I think the way that it works is that there's some invisible set of parameters that decides which set of side quests you do. And then from there, if you don't do the side quests, then Cloud gets one dress. Then if you do do one set of side quests, he gets another. And if you do do the other set of side quests, then he gets the other dress. Yeah, it's... And- uh. It's it's a lot. There are a lot of factors that go into that. I think the simplest one is Tifa, for sure, though. Tifa, you just choose. Even though I don't think Square Enix has ever heard what, like, knows what sporty means. No, no, no. Well, no. Uh, if you watch that scene, um, Cloud's like, something sporty? I don't know. And then Tifa's like, do you know what a dress is? <laughs> you know, that's a great segue into how good is Cloud in this game. <laughs> Cloud is a nerd, and I want to shove him into a locker and take his lunch money. Which is exactly what he's supposed to be. Should be, because so so we watched Advent Children shortly after, like a couple weeks ago, actually, and uh, two weeks ago, I think. Right? It was pretty recent. Yeah, not much to say on that except that movie sucks, but like it's really bad. Uh, It's quite bad, and in fact. Uh, uh, everyone tells me, oh, Advent Children, Cloud versus Sephiroth, like, one of the best anime fights ever. And, and like, I'm watching it, and I'm like, this fight choreography sucks. This yeah. animation kind of sucks. Everything about that movie is not good. Like, the movie is actually poorly animated. It has high-fidelity character models and environments, and they are poorly animated. But you, that was a chance for you to see what I've been saying all this time, is that Things after the original Final Fantasy VII were like, nah, Cloud is cool. Cloud is super cool. You want to be Cloud. Everybody wants to be Cloud. He's a badass. He's awesome. And it's like, no. Cloud's a fucking dork. (laughs) The only person that thinks Cloud Strife is cool is Cloud Strife and children. (laughs) And I think, on the whole, Remake nails all of the characters. I think it sort of gets Sephiroth, but only once you understand the underlying truth of what is going on, um, which I think we'll talk about a little later, because despite our spoiler warnings, we still haven't been going all in on the ending. So we'll leave it that way for now. 
think of it as a nested spoiler warning. Yeah. Um, if you understand everything that the ending reveals, then Sephiroth's character also, they nailed it throughout the game. Um, and it's just like, everyone's perfect. Like, like actually. Aerith is great because she is the only one that openly is just like, oh, this dude's a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> no, she, she gives Cloud so much shit and it's perfect. And like Barrett, Barrett kind of also does that, but Barrett's kind of blinded by the fact that he's also kind of a dork. Like, yes. Barrett is great. Barrett's voice actor is the standout performance in this fucking he game. He is absolutely incredible. And it also, it's kind of great knowing also that he is a fan of Final Fantasy VII. I believe all of them are. All of the voice actors that I've seen, because we've seen the, because uh, we've seen Aerith's voice actress uh, was streaming the game and basically like burst into tears every time Aerith was on screen. <laughs> Well, so actually, um, there was, before Remake came out, there was a stream of Aerith and Barrett's voice actors getting together and playing the original Final Fantasy VII, and Aerith's voice actor had never played it before. Ah, oh, interesting. But, but Barrett's voice actor had. So he was like, he was throwing all this knowledge down about the game, and he was talking about like what it was like playing it back in 1997 and all that stuff. Please tell me they were voicing their characters. Whenever they could. Uh, so if I remember correctly, Barrett's voice actor was like, he was having a, a fun time, like forcing Aerith's voice to, bo- to play Barrett, to play Barrett. <laughs> that sounds amazing. Holy shit. But no, like Barrett's when the plate drops and Barrett is like reacting to the fact that like, like he thinks Marlene is dead. That fucking performance is so good, and he has one of the best lines in the entire game, which is when he is, uh, like, talking about Jesse and and Biggs, and how uh, they gotta go find them in the rubble, and Cloud and Tifa have to have to break it to him, like, nah, man, we we watched them die; they're dead. And he, uh, Tifa, like, says. It's all right, Barrett. They've returned to the planet. And Barrett's like, they were supposed to return to us. That light is so good. I think Barrett is the standout character of the entire game, to be honest. I Uh, kind of agree. Like, he has the best voice acting. He has the best dialogue. Um, Throughout the entire game, he is, he's throwing down these incredible lines about, about like how the, how the planet is being damaged. And at one point, it, you this is a line that you missed because you did the the stair the staircase. I did both. I made a point. I saved and I did the staircase in Shinra Tower, and then I did the elevator in Shinra side, uh, Tower. Quick side note: staircase still fucking incredible. It is still very good. <laughs> but the um, when you do the elevator scene, uh, you run into just some regular Shinra employees in the elevator. And, like, you you scare them shitless. And they're just regular office workers. And Tifa's just like, well, I guess regular people do work here, huh? You kind of forget that sometimes. And then Barrett says, uh, "In I think this is my favorite line of the game. He says, a, a good man who serves a great evil is not without sin. He must recognize and accept his complicity. And it's fucking incredible. Barrett's, Barrett is a great character, and he he probably sees outside of Cloud. Cloud sees a lot of growth throughout this this part because this, in case you're still 
listening and you haven't played, this game ends when you leave Midgar. This is part one. Um, Which the box, we the box knew that a fucking, while ago. Yeah, but like the box doesn't say it. But this is part one. Um, <laughs> the game ends when you leave Midgar. But you you see a lot of growth from Cloud, first of all, because Cloud goes from no, fuck you, pay me. I'm not doing shit unless you pay me to shit. These people actually need help. Like they actually really for real need help. Yeah. And I think, I think a big part of that story being told is like with the high five sequence with Aerith of like this three part scene where it's like, he, he doesn't want to do the high five. And then, uh, and then he starts to do the high five and he gets awkward and Aerith's like, wait, what? And then they make a big quick time event out of the high five. And it's like, that's like a microcosm of Cloud's character. Of I, like, he's tr- he's trying to be cool, and he real and he's realizing that being cool is also kind of making him a jackass. For for me, the actual moment where you're like, oh, hell yeah, he's softening up. Hell yeah, is uh, one of the side quests in Sector 5. Um, when these these kids are like, there's this monster hanging around in our in our hangout area and we can't get rid of him cloud can you please go like get rid of him for us and cloud's like i don't work for cheap and they're like we only have five gold pieces and he's like yeah i'll do it for three and it's like cloud from like four like four hours ago even would not have done that cloud from literally that same chapter wouldn't have done it let's be like like, you remember the the side quest with the guy that wants that uh just wants to pay respects to his dead wife Oh, yeah, that one's that's a little that's cloud going a little far. And then at the end of it, clouds like, uh, yeah, here's the key. You should give it back to the shopkeeper. Uh, and and the guy's like, I dude, I just said I'm an old man with bad legs. It's it's literally just dropping off a key. Can't you do it? And clouds like for five thousand gill. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck cloud? Or like, uh, what what else is there? There's there's him slowly like. Because he's really awkward around, he's the most awkward around Tifa, for sure. Because obviously that's like, he's got a thing for Tifa, that's part of the original game, too. Yeah. Um, And it's, uh, it comes across very clearly, because he is at his most trying to be cool when Tifa's around. But, look, let's talk about the real standout character of this game. Jesse wants that dick so fucking bad. <laughs> okay, so let's place bets now. Is Jesse alive? I think she is. I uh on a podcast that we both listen to, uh called Castle Super Beast, uh the two guys on there were talking about their theories and Pat Bovan was saying like she's going to be at the Gold Saucer for sure. Absolutely. I think she's going to be yeah. at the Gold Saucer. She's you're going to bump into her. Um so actually, when we when we get to full spoilers later, uh, let's remind me to tell you my thoughts on this. OK, uh, so, yeah, there's like Jesse is so good for a character that had like, what, 10 lines in the original game. And granted, like old school Final Fantasy fans will be like, yeah, I still like she didn't talk much and she wasn't a big part of the game, but I still cared a lot about Jesse. And like I do, I did as well, but it. There's no getting around the fact that, like, she's a throwaway character. She's there, and then she's gone, and then you never see her again. 
And in this game, it's like she's there and then she does all this great shit and you get super attached to her. And they they killed it. They killed making all three of. Well, I could give or take Wedge until the end. I think near the end of the game, Wedge uh, comes into his own and starts to be like a really good character. But before that, he's just sort of the. He's the gag character. He's the com. He's the comedy relief. And that's weird. Like, that feels weird. He's kind of like that in the original game, too. But uh, I don't like Wedge until you're in Shinra Tower. Yeah. And Wedge is, and like, actually doing shit. And then he has one of the most interesting moments in the game. In regards to the Whispers, which we'll talk mm -hmm. about that fucking later. Well, I think unless there's anything else you think needs to be touched on. It might be time to go into the whispers. Uh, I want to talk about the music. Cause holy... Are we talking about that before the whispers? I'd say major, major spoilers go at the end. Okay. Because one of my major, major spoilers is the music. But yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll do some music now. And then I'll, I'll give my last, my last bit of songs after. The soundtrack is so fucking good. It's so, so fucking good. So, in our original Final Fantasy VII Smash to Pieces episode, I remember you said that Bombing Mission was one of your favorite songs, and I kind of didn't really get it. But now, in Remake, <laughs> I get it, because it's so good! I was listening to it the other day and like realized that when that big swell, the dun, 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 when that starts up, I get legit emotional. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And and it's like in the way that in the opening cutscene that that moment is timed with Cloud jumping off the top of the train and you seeing him for the first time. Yeah, it's oh, oh, it's so good. The whole soundtrack is like. So I had really high hopes for the soundtrack of this game. And some, somehow they managed to demolish them. Like they went so above and beyond with this soundtrack. Every single boss has their own version of fight on, including like... That's the most insane part. Like Scorpion Sentinel has like a version that fuses it with bombing mission. It's so fucking good. There's a different version of Let the Battles Begin in just about every area of the game. Yeah, and well, so on the topic of every version of, of Fight On being different, I think a couple of them do this, but the one that's for Hell House specifically, I noticed, like, there are parts of it that pull from the main theme of Final Fantasy VII. Mm-hmm. Like, every time that that moment kicked up in the song, like, that, I lost my mind. Uh, they take songs that weren't 
battle songs in the original game and then make them battle songs. Like, I don't remember the, the name of the song, but the song in the collapsed expressway, when you encounter the bandits and it's the dun, dun, dun. That song's not a battle song in the original game. And then they turned uh, it into one. It's so me, good. Uh, I think that might actually be called Do Recompense. Yeah, I believe so. That, like, they turned that into a fight song. It's so good. There is a battle version of Tifa's theme when you're fighting through Don Corneo's mansion. It's so cool! And then you've got regular Tifa's theme. on its own is absolutely gorgeous. Holy fucking shit. It's so beautiful. And then you've got Aerith's theme. standout musical moment of the game was the Turks theme. It was always like a good, like sort of low key theme. And now it's just like this awesome, like old West guitar kind of thing, like old West electric guitar. There's like three versions of the Turks theme in this game. And one of them's a battle theme.
it's so it's so good and like the Turks are also amazing in this game uh, Reno makes it very clear that like he doesn't like during the plate dropping he's like man I don't want to fucking do this it sucks like yeah I have to I'm getting paid to do this but man this sucks which is more than we got out of the original game, where he's just like, okay, gonna go do a 9-11 now. Time to, time to terrorism. Uh, and then you've got Rude, who uh, is another one of my favorite boss fights in the game, just purely on an aesthetic level, because you fight Rude at the very beginning, or not at the very beginning, but you fight Rude near the start of the Sector 5 stuff, and and Aerith the whole time is like, can, do we really, are we really doing this? Can we, like, can't we just stop, like, guys, can we just stop? And both Cloud and Rouge are like, no! <laughs> We're fighting, right now. Ugh. There's just, uh, also, my, I really, really like, I believe the soundtrack calls it, there are two versions of those chosen by the planet, and I really like the version that actually has a choir behind it. Because holy shit, it takes the sinister bits of that song and turns it up to 11. The tone of that song is so fucking good. I don't even know like where to start talking about this soundtrack, to be honest. Like, it's huge. The it's eight thing, discs. The it's yeah, it's there's so much of it and it's all incredible. There's, I think that one of the most standout songs in the game, though, boss wise, is uh, Genova Quickening. Specifically for one part that happens in the final phase of the boss. When the original MIDI breaks in. <laughs> or something close. I don't think it's the actual original MIDI, but it's very close. It, and that's it, it, obviously it's, it's not the original MIDI. It's, it's just a so it's it's just a straight uh, redo of the song. Exactly the same composition, but re like redone full of like orchestration. It's so fucking like ugh. this whole soundtrack is it's actually gonna take an act of God for this to not be my favorite soundtrack of the year. I don't think anything is possibly going to top this. It's like I said, like, like I'm just kind of like paralyzed trying to think about how to like how to talk about the soundtrack. Like, where do you start? Like, honestly, it's all incredible. And I wish Square would release it officially somewhere so I could listen to it. I mean, fuck, even even the 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 seventy dollar eight disc uh, release, you can't buy that. It's sold out. I would, I would really, I expect that they're waiting. So here's the thing that, that gets me with the, cause the argument is obviously like, they're probably waiting because if they put it on, on streaming, 
then sales of that album are probably going to fall off. And I get the logic behind that, except here's where that here's where I disagree with it. Physical CDs are now collector's items because people don't need them anymore. So they're it's like vinyls. They're collector's items, especially with that eight disc pack that they're selling. That is so obviously designed to be a collector's item. So I really disagree that putting it on streaming services now would take away from sales of that. Because if you wanted that pack, you were going to buy it anyways. So I hope that I hope it gets released soon. Square has been pretty good about releasing their stuff on uh, on services uh, where I can pay them money to let me listen to the goddamn soundtrack because I, I desperately want to listen to the soundtrack all the time. It's so good. But I, I think. There is obviously one song that is I think this this will lead us into the full spoilers. The one song on the soundtrack. Because it is everywhere in the soundtrack, it, they sneak it into an arrangement of ev- of like every song where it is possibly relevant. Even in the in the Genova Quickening theme. Mm-hmm. One winged angel rebirth, which they can't not like. That's the song. That's the song. Uh, it's. I remember when you first finished this game, you called it the like a really tame version of One Winged Angel, and I'm wondering where on earth you got that from. I'm also wondering that because then I went and listened to it on its own. It's so fucking good. <laughs> It's maybe one of my new favorite, I think. So, this is going to sound the most mini-sentence ever. Uh, The arrangement of One Winged Angel in Kingdom Hearts 2.5 is my favorite arrangement of uh, One Winged Angel, but it's a shortened version of the song, so it, it loses out on that as it is. This version, I think, comes in a close goddamn second. And so, like, I think that most of the time when they're when they are sneaking this song into stuff like in the intro when Aerith uh, when her flower gets stepped on and then it very slowly like sort of puts in a couple lines of one winged angel and then it goes back into the regular intro I think that's really good and uh, adds to one of the theory I think adds to one of the theories that I have seen that is widespread at this point as to what the ending means, which is probably a good spot to talk about the ending. Yep, so this is your final warning. We're talking about the real-ass ending here, and I cannot stress this enough. This is not just Final Fantasy VII, but again. Yeah, if if you have played the original but not remake, I'm gonna beg you to turn the damn podcast off until you've fixed that. Gone? Cool. That's enough time for me. So. At the end of Final Fantasy VII Remake. 
we go full Namura, at which point we break through the walls of reality. Well, literally through the walls of reality. Let's let's start a little further back. So throughout the game, sometimes something will happen and then these weird ghosts will show up. And you, you start to notice if you're really paying attention that the first time you ever see them, they are attacking Aerith right after the first reactor bombing. And then later you see them uh, attacking Sector 7 and injuring Jesse. And then later you see they like make sure that Cloud and Aerith are leaving the the church instead of sticking around because Cloud beat Reno. He does not need to run away. He kicked Reno's ass. And you start to realize something is that these fucking ghosts show up every time there's a possibility that something is going to deviate from the original story. They're attacking Aerith because they are keeping her in that spot because that is the spot she has to be in to meet Cloud. They attack Sector 7 because Cloud's not originally supposed to go on that mission because he has to go on that mission. Otherwise, he will not fall into Sector 5 and meet Aerith. They have to leave that church because Cloud's not supposed to beat Reno yet, and etc. and etc. And this keeps happening until the most noticeable one. First of all, Red Thirteen at some point explains to you that they are supposed that they are beings that are supposed to be keeping fate and making sure fate goes the way it's supposed to go. Which, by the way, th- like literally within an hour of me getting to that exact moment was uh, because you were a couple hours behind me in the game was you saying that you figured the theory that they were that they were retcon ghosts was a bit of a reach yeah and it turns out no it wasn't (laughs) turns out that's exactly what they're supposed to be (laughs) yeah um and so uh the the biggest one happens right after that which is the the Shinra president is not dead when you get up to his office and you get to see Barrett get this great moment where he he gets to like he gets his moment with the president of the like man I've been waiting for this for a long fucking time uh and we're going to do this right and then you know the president gets a gun and then Sephiroth ki- shows up and kills the Shinra president and then Sephiroth kills Barrett like straight up murders Barrett and the ghosts bring him back because Barrett's not supposed to die yet. And eventually, after the after the big like motorcycle sequence, you literally break where Roche should have come back. Where Roche should have come back. Roche was great. He'll show up again, I'm sure. I be better. I believe in my heart that he will show up again. Um I just think they didn't want okay, I'm so, to. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to sidetrack your explanation, but I can't remember if this is from like a podcast that we both listened to because uh, I'm sorry if you've heard this theory already. But like Roche is third class soldier, right? I believe so. So we see him in remake part two and he is second class soldier. And then I personally believe we could probably finish this off in three parts. So, hey, 
the, the final time we see him in remake part three, he's a first class soldier. How cool would that be? I think how they, cool would that be? That would be pretty good. I think they have to do it in three parts because I think the stopping points, because I genuinely do believe even even with all the stuff I'm about to get into, I genuinely do believe the next parts are are going to be roughly what this one was. It's going to be the story of Final Fantasy seven, various changes here and there. And then when you least expect it, oh, shit, something really major just fucking changed. Yeah. And then probably the very end of the entire journey will be completely different. Potentially. I think, I think that we're is still going to hit. We're still going to hit all the major beats. We're still going to go to but all so, the same locations. We're still going to go to Calm. We're still going to go to the Gold Saucer. We're still going to go to Cosmo Canyon. All of that's still going to happen. But the events that happen in those areas probably aren't going to be exactly the same. Uh, but so you were talking about the after the bike section. So after the bike section, uh, you encounter Sephiroth and Sephiroth's like, hey, I made this hole in reality. Bye. And then he walks through it. <laughs> and and Aerith explains that, like, if we go through there. That is the point of no return. Like that is that is. Basically saying, like, if we go through there, we're going to stop the whispers, which are what the ghosts are called. I realized I never explained that. They're called whispers. Um, When we go through that portal and we fight whatever's over there, it's going to get rid of the whispers, essentially, meaning that we are no longer going to be. Like blocked in by fate, fate in this case being being a straight remake of Final Fantasy seven. Uh, this is something that they are tricked into believing would be bad because we know that eventually everything turns out okay. But Sephiroth manages to convince them that the future is bleak by showing him probably some of the most horrifying things that he could show them, which is to say footage of Advent children. It's not It's not Sephiroth doing that. It's the big... Fate that was Arbiter of Fate. Thing. I'm I'm aware. Uh it's not Sephiroth <sighs> doing that. Wow. It's the it's the um Arbiter of Fate, which is this big fucking Kingdom Hearts ass enemy. Like it, it looks like a Kingdom Hearts boss. And it is I believe that it is showing it is trying to show them that like, no, like you guys have to stay on this path or everybody's gonna die. No, please you fuck stop it. Stop it! I, I I thought I thought the flash forwards were actually during the Sephiroth boss fight. No, they're during they're during the fight with the Arbiter. Okay, I'm misremembering that then. Yeah, yeah, he like as you're fighting him, he like puts out these tendrils of shit, and when they touch them, they get a flash of the future. Like they see they see Red Thirteen running down a canyon, and they see uh, Meteor. They get a glimpse of Meteor, which is fun. And again, all of these are footage of Advent Children. <laughs> I think so. I don't think they are. If they aren't, they are they are one-to-one -one remakes of Advent Children. Like, they're the exact same shots. Maybe one of them's Meteor. Meteor? Uh, well, at the beginning of Advent Children, there's there's that brief overview of what's going on. Mm. Of, like, what happened in the original. Uh, but they, they see all this, and they, they enter... I personally believe that the Arbiter of Fate is trying to tell them, like, No, look, please, this is for the best. Just fucking I, turn around and go, and they are interpreting it as, oh, fuck, they're going to keep us on a path to destruction. And then they f 
fight him down. The way I interpret it is that the Arbiter of Fate is not a, it's not a conscious being. It is a force of nature. And those, those visions are leaking through. And I think, I think Sephiroth had a little bit to do with that. Because this is the Sephiroth that is part of the life stream. And he does, he does show that, like, the Whispers ain't shit to him. He can't change what they are doing, but they can't fuck with him. Like, at some point they try and he just slashes his sword and they're gone. Yeah. He is the only character that can actually hurt them in the whole fucking game. And my guess is probably because of how he is integrated with the live stream in Genova. Um, Like, he, he is just too powerful for them to stop him. But he is not able to enact his will in destroying them. So he needs, he effectively needs to trick Cloud and everyone else into defeating the Arbiters of Fate for him. And the, the main theories that I heard, because this is stuff that you start to pick up on when you are playing the game and you know what's going on, is A, Aerith knows what's happening. Aerith absolutely knows what's happening. Aerith has foreknowledge, which the, the one theory that I saw that was really good was that at the end of the game, you get a glimpse of Aerith looking into the the original game. You get a glimpse of Aerith looking into the pipe from the beginning. And obviously this starts out on roughly the same shot because that's how Final Fantasy VII starts. And I think. Like, I think it's it's not too much of a stretch to say, like, Aerith absolutely knows what's going on. She knows what's going to happen in the future. That is why uh, she is absolutely terrified to leave Midgar. She does not have any interest in leaving Midgar until she absolutely has to, because she knows that the instant she steps out of that wall, the clock's fucking ticking. Yeah. Um, and and I think I think her 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 character scene, um, with Cloud, which which is the scene. Uh, there's there's the three scenes you can either either get, Cla- um, you can either get Tifa, Aerith, or Barrett. Uh, you can get a one on one scene with them. In her scene, I think that is very much implying how much she knows. And there's also the, uh, because, like, I think there is some stuff that people point to, like, she knows Red 13's a kid before he tells him that. I think you can just chalk out to Aerith's mystical, ancient girl. I don't think that's a, oh, Aerith has foreknowledge. I just think that she's... I think there's a lot of it that's also just Aerith's and Ancient, and therefore the planet and all that shit. But yes, there but is her, her knowing that Cloud is a mercenary. Like yeah. that. Well, that's what I would say is a little. To be fair, the the big sword does kind of give it away. <laughs> the giant well, no, ass no, sword. No, the big sword says he's in soldier. That's fair. Uh, there, there are a lot of lines where it's just like, oh, you know, you know what's happening. What the, the fuck? Big, the big sword is the big sword is Zack's sword, which it's 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 not a huge leap in logic to see the sword and go, oh, well, it's not the same sword, obviously, even though it is. Uh, but like, that's the sword that soldiers have. So why does she think he's a mercenary? Eh. Uh, and it's it's. So she obviously knows what's going on. But the other theory that I heard was that Sephiroth is doing this specifically because, A, now he has made a possible timeline where he wins. 
Yeah. Because well, he already Se- know he already knows how the original timeline goes. He loses. Sephiroth more obviously is aware of other timelines than Aerith. Yeah. Uh but then the other one is uh I uh the theory I've seen is that Aerith's not gonna die. I don't think that's gonna be the case. She might not die in the same way, but in my opinion, there are specific things that even Square has never undone and never had any interest in undoing. And that is Aerith dies. That is that is an immutable fact that happens. You have to say goodbye to this character at some point. But I don't think she's going to die in the same way, because one of the theories I saw was that Sephiroth is aware that if he hadn't killed Aerith, he would have won. Yeah, I I think that I, at the very least, I don't think Sephiroth is going to kill Aerith. I think it's more or less impossible. But she's going to I believe in my heart she's still going to die. I don't think there's any possible future where she is not going to die. I don't think that's a guarantee because literally the ending of this game was was defying Final Fantasy VII. And I agree with that, but I think that that's... I don't know how to explain it. But Aerith's death just feels like one of those things that, like, over the years, Square has been like, no, she died. And they have they have been like, so the story of the original Final Fantasy seven, uh, the the we would not have experienced this because we didn't play Final Fantasy seven as children. But around playgrounds, there was always the like theory that like you were always supposed to be able to bring Aerith back, but they had to cut it because they ran out of time. But there's one major thing that sort of throws that theory in the trash is that we got an enhanced version of Final Fantasy seven when it finally came out here. Our version had shit in it that the original Japanese version didn't have. And they didn't put in a way to bring Aerith back and all of the side, all of the like spinoff stuff of which there was a lot. None of it involved ever bringing Aerith back. And a big theme of that game is Aerith is dead. There is nothing you can do about it. Don't let her death be in vain. And I think letting Aerith live takes away a lot of the power of that plot. I hear what you're saying, but that just makes it all the more reason for them to do it in Remake. Because this is a different story. This this is not Final Fantasy VII, but again, this is a sequel to Final Fantasy VII. And like, I, is, like I'm saying, I don't think she's going to die in the same way, but I think that's going to be... It's going to happen and it's going to be framed as a reminder of like, no, this can still happen. Fuck you. It, I, but that almost feels like it's it's cheaper now that we've made such a big deal of defying fate because there's. um, Well, it's either that or somebody else is going to die. Somebody's going to die. 
there's there's this there's this idea in like alternate timeline stuff where you you still have like there are major beats of the original version of events that you that will still be hit even if the story no longer naturally lends itself to that and i just don't think it makes sense anymore I think that we're at the point with how thoroughly remake defies the notion of repeating these events. I don't think it makes sense to then go back and have Aerith die just because she's supposed to. I think it would simply in a way of framing it as you did all that work to keep her from dying and it wasn't enough. But we'll have to see. There's actually no way to tell. The only way that I will accept otherwise is if somebody else dies, and it's Yuffie. <laughs> <laughs> or like is, Yuffie's just not in the video game. No, I will take Yuffie being in the video game as long as I get to make fun of her constantly, and then she dies. Uh, I don't hate Yuffie. She's just fucking annoying. She's going to be so annoying. She's going to be so annoying, though. Uh, so one last thing that I wanted to get into uh, was sort of thinking about the, the other characters and when they show up, because obviously the next part is going to introduce the rest of the party. I have no doubt in my mind, 100 percent. They're all still going to be there. Every single one of them. Oh, yeah, there are cer- there um, are certain things that it's like. Vincent and Yuffie will no longer be optional. They will just be part of this part of the plot. Oh yeah, because cutscenes are too expensive now. Yeah, cutscenes are expensive, and we can't make two versions. We can't make three, ver- four versions. We can't make four versions of every cutscene. One where Vincent's there, one where Yuffie's there, one where Vincent and Yuffie's there, one where neither of them are there. We can't do that, uh, and we can't come pay a voice actor for characters that might not even fucking show up. Uh, so. Somebody that we both follow on Twitter uh, happened to mention. His question was, all right, so one character is for sure going to get there's going to be one like utterance of the word fuck. In one of the games, they're going to do it once. I guarantee it. Who gets it? And I know what my answer is, and it's with a bullet. But I want to hear yours. Aerith. That would be great. I don't think that's where they'd go, though she does say a curse in this game, and it's one of my favorite moments. <laughs> where she's climbing that ladder and she's making fun of Cloud, and then the ladder collapses, and she's like, shit! <laughs> well, so like, that's that's that that's a moment that's really important to me, though, for liking Aerith as a character. Because it 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 emphasizes how she is playing up the the shrine maiden character that um was kind of a sticking point against her for me. When we played the original, I kind of didn't care about her because she just seemed so like I, I, I think I used the phrase innocent virgin waifu. And that moment really helps humanize Aerith for me because she's put, she's putting it all on as an act. And it dives it dives a lot better and, and shows a lot more that, hey, Aerith's depressed as hell. <laughs> like yeah. Aerith's really depressed. Uh, but now I think it's Sid. Sid's going to get the fuck for sure. He's. Like, there's no doubt in my mind that at some point Sid is just going to look into the sky and scream the word fuck and that'll be the one. 
So here is the exact line, actually. I've changed my mind. There is an exact line that I want to have the fuck. Let's fucking mosey. <laughs> that won't happen. Also, let's mosey better be in the game. He better say that. Like, I don't care if that was a bad translation or whatever. He better fucking say that. I think that's the that. best translation of that line they could have done. Let's be honest. <sighs> yeah, I think it's Sid. Uh, I think Vincent is, I saw one tweet that was like, oh man, you think it's bad now? Wait until Vincent shows up in, in uh, the next part of Remake. There are going to be so many, it's going to be like DeviantArt in 2009, baby. It's going to be, there are going to be so many Vincent avatars everywhere you look. Because uh, Vincent is just, God, how much did you talk to Vincent in your game? Almost not at all. He's such a 90s character. He's the most 90s character. That Every time you talk to him, he's like brooding and he says like some prose bullshit and like mentions something about how like we're all going to die anyway. So what's the point? Everything is suffering. And it, it's like every time you talk to him, he's like, man, calm the fuck down and drink your juice box. What the fuck are you talking about? Can't wait to play Dirge of Cerberus. He's so stupid. Uh, <laughs> he's so stupid. Yuffie is going to be incredibly annoying. I imagine Sid is going to be toned down quite a bit. A little bit, yeah. I don't. I don't think they'd be able to get away with putting Sid in the game as he exists in the original. I think some people would probably have a he like. Sid at the beginning of Final Fantasy VII, when you first meet him, is... He's a domestic abuser. Uh, he is unlikable, and he gets a little bit more likable the farther you go. But not substantially. And I just don't think that they are going to go full-on him, you know, beating Shira in the remake. I don't think that's going to make it. I think that's one of the things that's going to change, if I had to take a guess... Maybe if Shira gets that goddamn tea. Like, fuck. He names his ship and Advent Children after her. That doesn't make any fucking sense. Actually, it does. But, like, come on. <sighs> so that implies she's dead. <laughs> and I know for a fact she does not die in that game. So I think the weirdest thing about Remake from here on is that we have absolutely no idea what is happening next. Obviously, we have speculations. We have what we think may happen next. But as far as, like, cold, hard facts, we have absolutely nothing. We only know that there is something. And what what is that going to be? And that's the weirdest part of, like, where we're sitting right now. We don't know how much it's going to stick to the original. We don't know if you're just going to be hitting the, the same areas with different things happening, or if it's going to be like this part where it is entirely the same game, except for that last 5% that goes off the rails. We don't know even structurally what the game is going to be. Is it going to be an open world game, or is it going to be like part one which avoided any open world elements at all 
It's a linear game. Which, to what? be fair, it's based on the most linear part of Final Fantasy VII. Yeah, I well, I don't, I don't mean where they could have made it. I don't mean to but, say that as a bad thing, but like people say, oh, well, we should probably get part two a lot faster because most of the heavy lifting's been done on actually building the game. And I look at it. And the very next thing that happens in the original Final Fantasy VII is you is go into step the out world on a world map, <laughs> which doesn't exist in this game engine. Like we don't know anything about the next game, and that's the weirdest thing about right now. We don't know anything. My personal theory. And this is just based on gut feeling. This could be completely wrong because, like you said, we don't fucking we don't know anything. It could be anything from here. Uh, I think it is going to roughly be the same story, but that's going to be to lull you into a false sense of security, at which point it will be like, oh, yeah. And by the way, this thing's completely different now. And here, fuck off. Take this. And I think that's going to be the the crux of it. And then part three, who fucking knows? That's going to rely a lot on what happens in part two. I think that uh, there are a lot of like, like everyone has made the joke of like rebuild of Final Fantasy because of rebuild of Evangelion. But I, I think that a lot of people are underplaying just how similar these circumstances are because you have a, a an ostensible remake of one of the most influential works in its genre and it starts out being a mostly faithful recreation with a couple of weird changes here and there and then a monumental change at the end and I wonder if we'll see the same progression with Final Fantasy as we did with Rebuild of Evangelion where part two is mostly telling the same story in broad strokes, but it happens very differently. And the ending is completely incompatible with the remainder of the story that still needs to be told. So then part three was a completely original story. And also, in Evangelion's case, was very bad. So... I wonder if that's the roadmap that we have for Final Fantasy VII, where part two will be mostly the same story, chasing Sephiroth around the world uh, while also dodging Shinra, but very different things will happen. And then part three will be just completely and totally different. And then part four will take a, over a decade to be made. Uh, I don't think it's going to be crazy different in part two again part three i don't fucking know that's gonna depend heavily on what the hell happens in part two but i i don't know it's it's very difficult to know what the trajectory here is gonna be <sighs> who knows who knows because they're still gonna want to pull in all of the characters like they're still gonna want to pull in bugenhagen they're still going to want to show off the Junon cannon. Scarlet still has a lot of shit to do. Uh, I've already forgotten. Heidegger has a lot of shit to do. Like, I feel like here's a, here's a theory that I have, and this could be completely wrong. Uh, I don't think this would be the entire thing, 
But I think at some point next game, something is going to start going wildly different and Aerith is going to try and stop it. And then she is going to realize she is not nearly as effective as the whispers are. Maybe. I think that is the theory I'm having. But we have been going for almost an hour and a half. And we need to uh, cut uh, cut here, I think. I think we have done enough discussion. I thank you for listening. Do you got any ending thoughts? I don't think so. I, my, my ending thought was, hey, we have nothing. We have no idea where this is going. Yeah, we're just going to have to wait and see. Maybe one day we'll get part two. But that hard mode, though. I wouldn't know, but it sounds good. Anyway, can't, can't wait for to see the mods when this releases on PC. That's going to be pretty cool. That is going to be fucking amazing. There are already mods on the PS4 version that have that put Cloud in the dress for battle. That already happened. Every single uh, every single screenshot of a modded game that I see of Tifa has her in the blue dress. It's uh, it's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to the mod that I will buy this game if somebody mods in the ability to play as the stupid poly polygon models from the original game. That is all I that is all I ask. That is all I ask in this world. Also, another mod that exists. Play as Red 13. I imagine that'll be that's modded already. Oh, yeah, that was already already did that. But he can't like climb ladders and shit. So it's not really that helpful. Uh, So, yeah. Looking forward to uh, more of these games. And if you haven't played it, well, first of all, why did you listen to the end of this episode? Come on, man. But also absolutely play it. It's so far my favorite game of the year. I don't think it's going to get dethroned. Uh, and we hope you enjoyed this bonus episode. We're hoping to put these out, you know, whenever we think there's going to be a major lull in episode releases, we're hoping to like have a bonus episode ready to release in case of emergencies, like say Metal Gear taking a month to come out. (laughs) Uh, so hopefully that works out. Hopefully you enjoyed it with that. My name is Joe. My name is Matt. And we will see you next time for more talk on whatever game we're on now, because it's impossible to say this early in the past. Bye!